House Flipping HQ. House Flipping HQ. Pooch. 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 Work with those agents. Make those offers. You've got a network like no other. House Flipping HQ. House Flipping HQ. Create those systems. Leverage others. Learn to evaluate and you'll prosper. House Flipping HQ. House Flipping HQ. Oh, yeah. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Hey, what's going on, my fellow house flipping haters? I hope you enjoyed that little beatbox jingle jam jam. Hey, if anyone out there thinks they can out do me and do a better beatbox or jingle or anything about house HQ or flipping houses or anything, send it on over and I would love to feature you in an upcoming episode. So before we get going with today's episode, I would like to let you know about a little uh, thing we're going to be adding to the House Flipping HQ podcast. As time permits, at the beginning of each show, I'm going to be doing a little segment. I haven't yet decided what I'm going to call it. Uh, I was thinking the master minute or, you know, you got, I've heard people call them quick tip. I was thinking maybe like quick flip, you know, I'm bigger pockets. They do quick tip. I've always really wanted to say quick flip. Anyway. Okay. So inside joke, maybe if you haven't listened to this show, but anyway, so either quick flip tip or uh, master minute or something like that. So each week I will give you, uh, I'll either answer a question someone had or I'll give you just a little bit of insight on a certain topic that I think might be valuable to you and we'll uh, see how that goes. So today's quick flip tip is all on creating systems. Now a couple days ago I went with my family to Disneyland and I was just blown away at the systems they have there. I mean, I, I knew they had great systems, but for some reason this day, I was just thinking about it even more all the way from, you know, going into the park where they collect your ticket, where you pay for your ticket to where you go through the lines. And then when you're waiting in the lines and the rides and how the rides operate and the people cleaning and working in the restaurants. Something that really stood out to me was over at uh, California Adventure. I was, you know, my wife and my son were going on the California Screaming Ride and I was over by the carousel and I noticed the lady by the carousel had like four computer screens she was watching and she was just like staring. I was like, why isn't she looking at the carousel? She was staring at these four monitors which allowed her to see the entire carousel. She could see if people were moving around, standing up. And she was able to do the job of four people just by staring at this computer screen. She could see everything. I was just like, whoa, that's like really cool. And I just saw systems all day long. So anyone who listens to this show knows that I am, I like totally geek out on systems. 
And in fact, in my business, it's all about systems. I mean, I would rather take 10 times as long to do something and create a system that will allow me to do that thing again and again and again, or allow that thing to be done again and again and again without me having to be involved. So I'm really, really huge on systems. And I don't think there's a business out there that is successful that does not have good systems in place. If it is, it's like a one-man show who doesn't, in my opinion, really have a business. They've created a job for themselves. Now, a lot of people don't like to let go of things. They think they can do such a better job than anybody else. And you know what I say to that? Baloney. Because honestly, there are so many things that could be done in your business that you are not doing because you think you can do it better than anybody else. And the reality is, how would Disneyland or any company that's successful in anything be able to do anything? The owner or president try to do everything themselves. It would be utterly impossible. They cannot grow or scale or do anything. And the reality is, in my business, there are tons of things that would never get done if it was all up to me. It would just be impossible for me to do. Things come up. It just wouldn't happen. So you've really just got to let go of that notion. It's a totally, totally not a true thing that, that a lot of people think. I think the truth is most people are just too lazy to train somebody else to do it because really it does take more time and effort up front. But if you take a little extra time, that is going to pay you tenfold. Now, there are some systems, some things that are best to do yourself first before you can teach someone else. For example, you probably want to learn how to evaluate properties first before you try to teach someone else how you want those properties evaluated. So make sure that you evaluate, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 houses on your own before you start training someone else how you want them to evaluate those properties for you. However, there are other things like writing addresses on envelopes or licking and sealing them and putting stamps on or turning on utilities that you probably don't really need to do ever or maybe a few times before you can turn that over to somebody else. So the difference is, you know, once is a skill that takes much longer to develop uh, versus just telling someone, okay, put a stamp on or, or lick it, something that just about anybody can pretty easily do. Now, if you're outsourcing or getting an assistant or somebody, anybody to help you out with some of these items, Start with the small items. Start with the items that are really easy to train and just take a lot of time. Because that way, in case whoever is helping you out, if things don't work out, you didn't put a ton of time equity into training that person. So no big deal. And then over time, you can continue to add things. You can continue to add things that you probably don't feel comfortable adding right now. But just start with the simple things that anyone can do. Uh, then you can pay them less per hour. It can save you some time. And then you can move on to some of those larger things. And over time, you will have a house flipping machine that is running on practically autopilot. And you're just more focused on the big picture and how you can drive this thing. What's the, your, your goals and the next things that you want to implement into that business rather than worrying about all the little day-to-day -day items 
that quite frankly, an entrepreneur or business owner should not be all that consumed by. So that is our quick flip flip tip our flip tip there we go that's what i was meaning our that is our flip tip for today if you have any comments or questions regarding systems in running your house flipping or wholesaling operation please include them in the show notes at slash show 24 and i will do my best to respond or answer those uh, in any way that i can Speaking of systems, I will be hosting another live uh, webinar this Thursday. We had such a great response from our last webinar. I'll be holding another one, teaching you all about my business and the systems we use to flip close to 100 houses per year and how you can create your own house flipping machine. I'll also go over the Mastermind uh, group, which we are launching or have launched in February. Uh, So you can go there and check it out. And I'll also answer any questions at all that you have live. So go to houseflippinghq.com slash mastermind and uh, sign up. And if you missed the one on January the 30th, then go ahead and go to houseflippinghq.com slash mastermind. And you can sign up for a future webinar as well. So on to our show for today. Today, we have Will Bernard, who is going to talk to us about how he runs his high-end luxury house flipping business. I mean, this guy is doing some big deals that I know know, a lot of people kind of shy away from that kind of stuff. So it's pretty cool to talk to him and how he mitigates his risk in these higher-end properties and how he's buying and rehabbing and selling properties that he's making close to six figures per property, which is pretty darn impressive if you ask me. So without any further ado, let's get to it. I give you Will Bernard, the high-end house flipping machine. All right, Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get down to business. Before we dive into your current business and your uh, house flipping machine, why don't you uh, give us a little bit about your background, kind of catch us up to speed to where you are today. How did you get involved in real estate? Uh, how'd you get to where you are? Okay, fair enough. Um, I've been self-employed for the majority of my adult life. I started a offset printing company when I was 19 and I ran that for about over 10 years. I always had an interest for real estate and I just never really pulled the trigger. And uh, about uh, 2001-ish, 2002-ish, I was kind of going around looking at houses to to flip. The uh, market was going up and uh, I was going around with some agents and I was looking at a few properties. But back then, all I knew about buying a house was going to the bank, you know, getting a loan, so forth and so on. I didn't know about creative financing, seller financing, hard money loans, private money lenders, et cetera, et cetera. So as it turns out, I didn't show a whole lot of income being self-employed. I didn't qualify for these loans. So I kind of just gave up and kept going on with the printing business. And finally, I said, you know, I, I hate this. I can only go so far in printing. I, I need something else where I can really push the envelope. And I thought real estate was it. So I, I pulled the trigger. I tried to get educated as much as I could. I did a lot of self-education, reading books, uh, perusing the internet and so forth. 
Uh, I also got taken by a guru for about 12 grand, as (laughs) so many of us have. So, um, and then I just finally, in about 2004, I felt like I was finally ready to take the plunge. And uh, I started looking for partners and private money lenders as I started to learn more and more about that. And I started in the buy and hold uh, realm of real estate. That's where I got my start. And I was buying in Texas. So I was buying single family homes in Texas, uh, placing tenants and hiring the property manager and, and going from there. And you still lived in California at this time, right? That is correct. Okay. So that was 2004 that you started buying houses in Texas, right? Actually, my first purchase in Texas was, uh, I think it was 2005. Okay. So catch us up to speed to where you are today. Your main focus today is flipping, correct? Correct. That's my main focus right now today. Okay. So what are you, bring us up to speed to where you are today with your house flipping business and how did you get there? Okay. Um, approximately 2008 after the bubble burst in, you know, 2007 and through eight and nine, I saw the change. Of course, I didn't see it coming. I saw it after everyone else did. Yep. And so I was like, man, I made a lot of mistakes in my buy and hold. I paid too much for them as most rookies do. And I wasn't cash flowing like I anticipated. And so I thought, you know what, in 2009, I started to see the change. And I said, you know what, if I sell these and move all the funds and all of my focus here locally in my own backyard, I think there's some opportunities to buy, fix and sell. And so I did. I started liquidating properties and I flipped my first house, uh, which wasn't my first flip, but it was my first local flip was in 2009. And I did tremendously well. I almost pulled six figures off of it. Nice. On my flip. Nice. And so from there, I was just doing one at a time. And then as I advanced, I started doing two at a time and then three at a time. And then I was doing five or six at a time. That's awesome. So that's kind of where you're at right now, doing a handful of flips at a time. Um, you do some higher end stuff, correct? Correct. And as I've progressed over the years, I've started getting higher and higher in the purchase amounts. And now I, my main focus is the luxury market, not only because it's a stepping stone from going from A to B, you know, the two $300,000 houses onto the 600000 and so forth. That's a natural stepping stone. Also, the main reason for that is just because my market here in Southern California is so competitive. Everybody and their dogs are trying to flip properties. And so that two hundred dollars to $500,000 price point level is in everybody's wheelhouse. Everyone is doing it and it's so hard to get those deals. So it was almost a necessity for me to find another niche. Okay, I love that. Let's talk about that. So you live in LA, where do you live? I'm in Santa Clarita, which is about 30 minutes, 35 minutes north of downtown LA. Okay, so you naturally have some pretty higher price points in the general area. Um, So let's talk about these higher end homes you're buying, some of these luxury houses. What you know, I hear before we get into it, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, higher end is, is risky. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, risky. Everyone has a different definition of risk. And for me, I think that there's risk in everything we do and everything we say. Uh, it's risky. how well you mitigate that risk. Love that. Support. So can, is a higher end home versus a lower end home more risky? I say no. Well, the lower end home, you have less money out. True. You have less time frames in your rehabs, typically. True. Um, and you typically can get in and out of it quicker. True. But your spread is smaller. Uh-huh. True. So in the higher end, 
Yes, your hold times are longer. Yes, you have more invested in acquisition and in rehab, but your spread is much bigger. So if you look at the percentage of either or, I say that the luxury market is ultimately less risky because I have more room for everything to go wrong and still come out okay. Okay, I like that. And at the end of the day, I mean, I think you nailed it on if you buy it right, right? I mean, if you have the spread, of course, yeah, luxury market's going to be risky if you're, you know, going for like a 6% spread, right? And if something does happen in the market, uh, it's going to be pretty tough for you to recoup that cost. And if you lose 10% or so in a higher end property, then that's where, uh, you know, you can uh, be hurt pretty badly. So, Okay, let's get to it. You know, we like to focus on what I call the four pillars of house flipping, which are, you know, finding or buying properties, financing them, fixing them and selling them. So let's talk about finding and buying. How do you go about finding these houses that you're flipping? Well, when I started uh, flipping houses, I had developed some relationships with some REO brokers here. And as I progressed, I gained more and more of them. And On top of that, I started adding some relationships with some local asset managers here that were able to give me deals that never hit the MLS. And I think that is one of the several factors that made me very successful in flipping houses here locally. Those relationships helped me get acquisitions that nobody else had access to. While everyone else was shopping on the MLS or possibly doing direct marketing, I was getting deals that nobody else could get. And they were huge spreads at the time. So that's what I was doing. But then the market changed yet again. And these asset managers and REO brokers, no longer the rules changed on them and they can no longer deliver those things pre-MLS to me. So I saw that coming. And so in preparation for that, I knew I was going to have to make the numbers game on the MLS, which is making a, a lot of offers, looking at a lot of properties and put your thing out there as much as you could to, to land deals. So I started doing that. I developed a system for that as well. And uh, as that progressed, eventually my, my relationships, while I still keep them and they still do work, it doesn't work quite as much. So I'm pretty much shopping on the MLS like everybody else. Okay. So that's where you are right now. You're doing a lot of shopping on the MLS. Now, when you say you, is it you specifically? Do you have anyone? We haven't really talked about your team. Do you have anyone that works with you? Um, have you seen the, uh, Staples commercial? I think the guy's name is Bill. It's like, Hey, Bill's the office manager. Bill's the owner. Bill's the secretary. (laughs) I love that commercial. Anyways, that's me. I am, I am the one in the the everything pretty much. So I don't have a staff. I don't have employees. Okay. But of course you're working with agents and you're working with, uh, well, maybe, maybe you're not working with agents. Are you making these offers all on your own then? Or uh, great question. My, my wife actually got her real estate sales license. So I'm not a real estate agent, but my wife is. Same so with I me. Okay. Her ability with the license so I can make offers with her name. I also use other agents. So other agents know what I'm looking for. They know my criteria and they know that if it's on the MLS and they're bringing it to me, I've probably either already seen it or I have access to it. I don't need them. So they have to bring something more to the table yeah. than just, hey, here's a property on the MLS and the listing price. They know that they need to go in there and create some type of relationship with the listing agent, get some information that possibly the rest of the general public doesn't have, and then work their magic and then bring me something where, hey, you could probably get this for 50 grand under their ass price if you do this. And I love that you say that because I'm sure you've had it as well. I've had so many agents that will send me 
or used to. They know not to anymore, but they used to just send me, here's all these properties on the MLS. And I'm like, that's great. I can look them up too, you know? And I, and I don't mean that to sound condescending, but I'm trying to run a business, right? So for someone just to send me a property with no information at all, you know, if it's their listing, that's different. Or if they have an inside track, like you said, if it's a pocket listing, then I'm, I'm all ears. You know, let's see how we can can make this work out. But don't just send me a huge list of properties. I was talking to an investor a couple months ago who he was just getting bogged down with a lot of work. And I started talking about what he's doing and he's working with agents. I'm like, what do you do with your agents? And he said, well, they just send me properties. I'm like, they just send you listed properties on the MLS and then you comp them, run your numbers and tell them what to offer. I'm like, dude, like, what's the point of that? Like, make them work for that. So I, right. I, I like that. I mean, I will let my agents make offers, but they got to at least send me, they got to just know what to offer, right? I don't need to hold their hand and, and baby them on, on that. But since you're doing, I, I kind of see where it makes sense. I do a lot of lower mid and we do some high end homes, but I kind of see how what if you're focused on higher end, how you can do that on your own because you don't need to buy, you know, like I'm doing about a hundred a year. You don't need to do a hundred a year. I mean, absolutely not. You're, you're focused on those bigger profits and just nailing that luxury price point range. So, okay. So every day, I mean, you're focused on higher end. You're not even looking at the lower end stuff. It sounds like. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm looking, but not very hard. Yeah. And I do have some things that come to me and most of that's going to be through relationships of some sort. I have an inside track on something. Okay. And if that happens to be a lower or mid range home, then great. I, Cause I'm all for those. I love getting in and out in 120 days, buying something for 300 and putting for 30 sure. or 40 in it and clearing 40 grand at the end of the day. You know, I'm all for that. Uh, they're just harder to find. So I'm not shopping on the MLS that hard for them because it's just too much work to find that one deal as opposed to me having very little competition on the $2 million one, finding and negotiating that great deal, even if it's on the MLS. So I what, can negotiate a great deal and make a huge spread and just flip one house where somebody else has to flip 10 houses to make the same amount of money. So let's talk about some of these higher end uh, projects. You're, I think you're the first person I've interviewed that we've uh, gotten into this really that that's like your main focus so what are you looking in a, a higher end price i heard you mentioned like two million is that like your purchase price on average what what are some of these numbers look like when you go on the mls what are you looking for what can you share with us about that sure um i wouldn't say that two million is the well there's a wide range so I've, sure. I've bought something at 650 and put two into it i think i was all in for 850 call all it right. I sold it for one two one one seven five, I think it was. I ended up netting about two hundred on that deal. That would I would that's be awesome. that's a upper mid range house over here. I think is uh, that I, the one I heard you talking about on Bigger Pockets podcast? Uh, oh no, you were talking about like a really fat deal. Yeah, no that that's the big big one that I have on the MLS. <laughs> that it's still for sale, and I'm equity rich and cash poor on that one right now so okay so we're still sells, waiting for that one all right i want to wait for that one to uh bring home the paycheck i want to hear an update on that absolutely that's looking how's that looking you're getting a little i can edit this if i need to <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i don't want to give away all my secrets to the uh mr and mrs home retail buyer no i didn't mean that i was meaning uh if it's uh if you're squirming on it i could edit it but <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I didn't know the situation. I don't want to. Oh, no, no, not at all. Well, I'm uh, impatient by nature, you can say. I'm the so same way. I've been on the market for about 100, 110 days. Uh -huh. so, and I'm chomping at the bit. I'm like, 
this house is beautiful. Why hasn't it sold the day I listed it? You know? Yeah, totally. But I just, I've been getting really creative. This particular property happens to have a, a very large house, pool, spa, tennis court. And then below it, all attached, there's some separate property there that's all horse property. And it has stables and a guest house and a river and so Crazy, forth. Crazy, man. And the because those that land is all separated, different APNs, I've tried to get creative. I had it listed at originally at four and a quarter million. Wow. And I dropped it to to three nine nine to hit everyone searching for under four million. Yeah. And uh then I said, you know, I in order to sell this quicker, and because I was going through all these holidays in the slow months, which really has added to my DOM, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Um I decided I got to get creative and get it down closer to three, but I'm not, I, I need to protect all my equity and yeah. all my hard work. So what I've done is I've separated it and I've made the house 3.4 on the MLS and then I've made the lots 400. So I really only dropped it 200,000, but it looks like a $600,000 drop on the MLS. Wow. And I'm hoping that will generate some better traffic. Okay. Really cool. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing about that. So let's talk a little more about your, your typical deal. I, I still want to get a little more into the acquisition part. So you go on the MLS, you just start looking in your area for, um, you know, you're doing hot sheets, you're sending yourself what a certain criteria. Um, and then you just start calling up the agents and making offers. Are you offering to let them, you know, take both sides of the commission? Or are you just keeping the commission on the one side so you can get a better uh, price? How, what are you focused on there? I'm going to do whatever gets that deal done. So if that right. means I come in and keep the commission, then all the better. If it means that I'm going to let them double end it, all the better if it gets me the, the deal. Okay. If it means that some agent's going to, other agent's going to bring it to me and represent me, fine, as long as I get the deal. Okay. So tell me a little more, what are you looking for? I mean, I know it's higher end, but what are you looking for in these higher end properties? I am looking for an opportunity to add value. I want to force appreciate because that's where most of a rehabber's profits is going to come from. So I'm looking for the houses that are completely either gutted. I'm looking for houses that are completely outdated from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s even. Uh, I'm looking for really large upsides. And then I'm looking for something that's been on the market for quite some time. Maybe there's got to be some reason for that. I'm also looking to see, I'll do some research on a property. And if I come to find out the owner is owns it free and clear, or if there's some kind of seller financing play I can do with it, then maybe I can up my offer higher, get seller financing at a lower rate than I'd pay a private money lender, and then both parties are happy. So if that helps me get in, great as well. As far as my criteria, yes, I do set criterias. I'll set areas specific. I'll have minimum beds, minimum baths, and minimum square footages. Other than that, I'm looking for REOs and short sales because those are going to be my um, distressed sales and more motivated sellers, but not always. Uh, one of my most recent purchases was own free and clear standard sale. So yep. set the criteria. I get my queue and I run through my queue and, and go through each one. I have a system that automatically runs all the comps for me. gives me my CMA, tells me what I should offer. I send out the offer and I just start blasting them out. You, is that the, you know, you sent me an email mentioning the company that you created. Is that something that you've created? The, uh... Yes, investor experts. Yes, it's uh, something my partner and I developed. And the reason I uh, developed it was when I saw the market was changing, I knew I was going to have to go to the MLS. I knew that it was going to take a lot of offers to get out there to get deals. 
And in knowing that, I'm like, I got to be efficient because I don't want to go through all that paperwork. Uh-huh. And so I developed the system for us. And then, then as it turned out, we ended up saying, wow, this is really great. And we ended up going public with it. Okay. Do you mind taking a minute and sharing kind of how that works a little bit? Sure. Um, investor experts, which could be, I don't know if I can plug this. Yeah, you're fine. I mean, to, okay, I'll be honest. I, I didn't get a chance to look at it. But when I hear someone talk about a system, and you probably the same way that just kind of plug it in and it works, I get a little, uh, not, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, so, so kind of, I don't want to say sell us, but uh, explain a little bit how it works. I'm, yeah, you can plug it. That's fine. Gotcha. Well, As long, it's, it's a good, look, I know you're a good guy doing a lot of business, so I don't mind um, you sharing with us something that could be beneficial, right? So. Okay. Well, it is, uh, the website is uh, investorexperts.com. Basically what it is, is it gives you a live MLS access, public MLS. You, obviously, we can't show private remarks to the public. That's illegal. But it gives you the public information to the MLS. And just like an agent would do, let's say you're a, a rehabber and you want Joe Smith to be your agent and you ask them to, here's my criteria, plug it in and give me everything that's on the MLS. Well, this system does that just as any agent can do for you. Puts it in a queue for you and then you select the very first property and go down your queue. The minute you select the property, it takes you to a detail page. That detail page automatically has run comps for you, both active pendings and solds, maps them on a map, and at the same time, the computer system automatically selects what it feels are the best five comps, if there's five comps, and then it automatically runs what the ARV would be, all for you instantaneously. Wow. So that's probably how it does that. You probably don't discuss, right? But that sounds pretty amazing to me if it's able to do that. Yeah, it basically takes everything that you would do manually as an agent, which would be, you know, okay, here's the list of properties, you know, Justin. And then you say, okay, I like this one. Will, can you look this up and run a CMA for me on 123 ABC Street? Now I got to go into my MLS, do all that work and send you a CMA. Then you're going to do some analysis and say, now I want to make an offer on it or I don't. If you do, now you got to give me the terms of your offer. I'm going to write it up for you, send it back. You're going to sign it, so forth and so on. This is a, a time-consuming process, even if you're fast. Uh-huh. What my system does is it allows the user who may not be an agent but has an agent, it allows them to have automated CMAs at their fingertips. It tells them exactly what the ARV should be so they know what to offer. And then it takes it even one step further that nobody else has is it actually takes you to an offer. By clicking another button, it'll take you to an offer sheet. It will put all the specs of your offer that you've programmed in and you hit another button and it automatically generates the offer on real car forms. Uh, we're licensed to do that and boom, you're out. That's pretty cool. Sends it directly to listing. What's the accuracy percentage of like the ARV, the ARV and stuff? There's not an accuracy percentage per se because any ARV is an estimate in, okay. in by its nature and it's also an opinion. But you would maybe want to look at that data would it just make sure it's kind of in line with uh your opinion of the arv right right and it is now it does nothing is automated so much to where there's no human intervention and anyone telling you otherwise is fooling. yeah okay well i appreciate you saying that yeah this system still requires you as the investor to be able to know your market and say well you know the third comp down here the lot size is twice as big as the subject property. I'm going to take that one out. So you deselect it. Yeah, okay. That's this good. one's on a main street. So maybe the price per square foot was off because 
it had to sell for a lower price. So you throw that one out. And what you have left as you select and deselect the available comps, it automatically is running the change in the deal calculator for you and telling you what the R, new R is. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'll have Vanessa look into that and see if it's something we can use. Um, so what's the website again? It is uh, www.investorexperts.com. Okay, cool. And you guys are rocking and you're ready to go with that. People are already getting it. Instead. We're going uh, right now. You're just we're, starting off. We've taken about two years to build this thing yeah. to get it for the public. We've been using it for two years and it works great. We have users, but we haven't really gone full bore with any marketing or anything because we've been in some developmental stages and trial and error. We now have our path. We're going to be, we're rebuilding the back end. And as we're doing that, once we're done, we're going to launch a bigger launch. And yeah. when we launch bigger, we'll it's be able to soft. have access to the nationwide stuff. Very cool. Okay. What, what does that run? It is a 97 a month service and you can make one offer a month or you can make a million. There's no extra charges for number cool. of offers. All right, guys, check that out. Let me know what you think. Uh, I, I can't, um, a hundred percent. I haven't used it, so I can't really, but, but it sounds pretty cool. So yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. So, um, okay. So we kind of covered acquisitions. I know a while ago you mentioned you were going to be doing some direct mail. Did you not go down that path? I know a lot of times I have ideas or things I want to do, but it's just like, eh, highest and best use of time is over here. Did you not go down that? I haven't yet, but it is definitely on the list of things to do because I feel it is a uh, good use of time. The problem for me is I'm so um, inundated right now with the stuff I have going yep. that I can't possibly take my focus away from that until they're completed. But yeah. once they're completed, I want to be able to get those three, four, five hundred thousand dollar purchase price uh, things. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, today is direct mail. Yep. So I will be doing that campaign for sure. Okay, very cool. Let's talk about um, financing. So these are, oh, really quickly, looks like his whole luxury. Uh, let's talk about financing first. <laughs> then we'll get into kind of how you do your rehabs. And I know with high-end homes, you have to be particular. So financing, these are expensive houses. Where are you coming up with all this money, Daddy Warbucks? <laughs> uh, well, I have a ski mask and a 9 millimeter. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it is from years of building my reputation and performance history that has allowed me to build a large database of private investors. And when I say private investors, because a lot of people mix the terms private investor and hard money lender. Uh -huh. And some hard money lenders are calling themselves private money lenders yeah. because it sounds less uh, expensive. Less, less hard. <laughs> yeah, less hard, exactly. <laughs> when in fact, it's not the case at all. So all of my deals are funded with a combination of private investor money and my own capital. All of them? All of them. That is impressive. Because even all my, most of my deals are hard money as a first and a lot of private money as a second. Or sometimes, you know, private money is the whole thing. And then some, or some of my capital, of course, as well. I leverage that. But wow, that's really impressive that you're able to fund all of these higher end properties with private money. So let's talk more about that. I mean, I know you mentioned relationships, but let's get into that. How, let's say you're talking to a new investor and they say, hey, how do I get money? How do I develop that relationship? What would you recommend to them? Well, again, it, it depends on your uh, level of expertise, how long you've been in the business, if you have a track record or not. So the advice would be completely different if you're brand new. But let's let's, let's go do with brand you. new and then let's do like intermediate. Okay. So if you're brand new, I highly rec recommend starting where I started. And that's family and friends and your inner circle, if you will. So how do you and approach that conversation? Yeah, go ahead. You're probably getting into it. How do you approach that? Okay, so approaching it is going to be typically the first one is going to be on a very close family member because you don't have to 
some practice and you don't have to be so nervous around them. You know, they're your loved ones. So you tell them what you've been planning on doing and you come with a game plan too. You don't say, Hey dad, uh, I want to invest in real estate tomorrow. Would you be a $300,000 private lender for me? Exactly. No, you, you come in and say, Hey dad, I've been researching this and that. Here's how I can show you how you can get this return. And at the same time, it'll allow me to buy this property. And this is how I'll protect your money and go from there. I always focus on the lender and not myself. So you don't want to talk about you and what you get. You want to talk about how, what they're getting and what they're getting out of it, in other words. And what are they getting out of it? Yeah. What are they investing in right now? If that's the stock market or how is that doing for them? If it's a bank CD, well, we all know how that's doing. For them. <laughs> really, really crappy. So if you can show them how they can make 9, 10, 11, 12% interest on their money without any labor or work, they can have a passive income investment that's protected and secured by real estate. So you want to make sure you deliver the message of the security and the plan on how you're going to protect their money. Okay, perfect. So let's say someone's a little more uh, advanced and they're looking to raise more capital. Sounds to me like you have a lot of private money. So that's a relative term a lot, but yeah, I have a good fair share. Yes. So I like more. <laughs> we all want more, right? So how do you get more? Let's say, you know, someone has a decent, some private money, but they want more. How would you go about that? Networking. So I go to real estate club events all the time. Um, I'm also a speaker at them. So that really um, is beneficial for me because I'm in front of the crowd and I'm the quote unquote expert up there talking yeah. so that that obviously helps a lot more than just going to a club as a member or as a visitor. However, if you're there as a member or visitor, network with people, talk to people, meet people, tell them what you do, ask what they do. And if you run into anybody with money or who's a potential private investor, then you talk it up, you create a relationship. You don't ask them for money right then and there. You don't show them a deal right then and there, the first one. You form that relationship. You, next time you talk to them, maybe you bring them a deal or maybe you talk a little bit more in detail about a deal you might have. Uh, you don't push them too hard. So I think networking is number one. Now, um, how, how do you find those guys with money? Like, I mean, so you're at a club, right? Someone might have money, someone might not. How do you know? I mean, do they come up to you and say, hey, I have money? Or do you talk to them and say, hey, do you have money? Or, <laughs> I mean, you start talking. How does that usually go? It depends on the club. Every club is different. Every real estate event is different. And every person's different. So I don't really have, there's no system that I have. And maybe some of it's been luck. Okay. Maybe uh, I'm good at it. Or maybe I'm not so good at it. I don't know. All I do know is that sometimes... Typical uh, conversation will be, I'm just talking to whoever and they're asking me what I do. And then I ask them what they do. And they say, whatever they say, say, well, I've been interested in maybe investing in real estate, but I really don't know where to start. Then I lead that conversation to, well, are you looking to be active and flip houses like I do? Or are you looking to be passive? So I'm, I'm looking to generate that conversation to hear that keyword passive. Once I hear that word, I know that there's a potential with them. Now it's a matter of do they have money or not? And then you lead into that. I like that because a lot of people, you know, they go to these clubs and their goal is to make money, but they might have money. And if they have money, you know, start putting it to work. And then maybe over time, if you want, sure, become a little more active. But otherwise, you know what? Keep your day job and keep that money working. That's what I'm going to do someday. <laughs> yeah, know? that's right. Yeah, just and invest I, I'd my also money. recommend do not judge a book by its cover. For sure. I have met some people at real estate clubs that were 
in shorts and flip flops. Yeah. And, you know, in some crappy t shirt. And they're, you know, multimillionaires. So do not look for, oh, it's got to be the guy in the suit and tie. That's not the case. So let's talk about the, uh, the elephant in the room, which I get questions about all the time. What about all these rules I hear about? I'm, I'm acting as if I'm someone else, right? About, you know, the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, and aren't there rules to raising money? And how do you go about that? I mean, how do you avoid, what are those rules and how do you avoid breaking those? Uh, great question. Well, there's a ton of rules for the SEC. Most of it, though, revolves around publicly marketing for those leads because you're ultimately selling a security. And so if you publicly market for it, so if you're going to send out a mailer and say, hey, uh, I'm looking for private money lenders, that's publicly marketing. You have to be, you have to have a license or, or some type of exemption to do that. Uh, if you're advertising on your website, technically you have to have a license for that. So does everyone follow the rules? No. I mean, have <laughs> I probably violated some, you know, I'll, I'll uh, remain silent on that. Uh, but you know, th those are the main rules is the, the, the publicly advertising. If you're going to a club meeting and you're having a conversation with somebody and you meet them there, you didn't publicly market for them. You met them in person. You created a relationship. And then the second time you met them, you got in more detail. And by the time they do the loan, you've had three or four conversations. That's completely legitimate to have them fund your deal. You don't okay. need any, you're not breaking any SEC violations for having a private lender that you met at a, at a real estate. So when you go speak at these clubs, you're not getting up there and saying, hey, you guys have private money that I can borrow. I mean, you're just educating Absolutely. I'm up there teaching people how to flip houses or how to wholesale or how not to do the wrong things or how to raise private money or how to structure it. And those are great conversations because I'm up there in the front talking about something that in some way involves private lenders. And if there's any of them out there, well, who are they going to first want to come and talk to you at that meeting? Yeah. So let's talk a little more about that structuring what do you teach when you're up there to people teaching them how to structure private money? Well, I typically am going to teach how to protect the lender because that's ultimately the most important thing. If you protect the lender and always pay them back, you're A, never going to have a problem. And B, if you don't have a problem, you're not going to get, you're not going to risk anything with the SEC or anything else. So I teach how to protect that lender. And that's involved um, the proper note and deed of trust for the security instrument, hazard insurance policy with the uh, lender named on as additionally insured, possibly a personal guarantee, and all the other bells and whistles that go along with that. Most importantly, the loan to values. I teach them whether it's from the lender side or the borrower side, you should never go over a certain LTV because that cushion is what protects both you as the investor and the lender. And what LTV do you usually recommend? I suggest that anybody not go over 70%. And is that of the after repaired value or the, how do you? And that depends. There's two <laughs> ways to look at it. You can do 70% of the purchase price or you can do 70% of the ARV, but then you have to also account for how much rehab is it. Yeah. So if you have a $100,000 exit price and a $10,000 rehab, let's say, exactly. and you bought it for 50 grand and you're asking for 50, well, that's 50% loan to value, right? Well, not really, because you still need the other 10,000 to put in to get it to that 100 
So it's really technically 60% loan to value. Yeah. So if I was to borrow 50 from you and I put in my own 10, at the time I borrowed it, it was 50 to 90. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what I'm asking. So, okay, money, 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 money. Everybody. Wants. Okay, so let's talk a little more about how you structure your money with these guys. So you have private money lenders. Are you paying them around 10 to 12 percent ish? 10 to 12 percent, correct. And is this accrued interest or is this monthly interest? A large majority of my loans is all accrued. So in other words, it's one lump sum balloon payment, principal and interest at the end of the note or when the property sells, whichever comes first. Which that's probably pretty huge for you because you're doing such higher end properties. It is to not have those huge payments. But again, as I've gotten into these huge properties, it is a little bit more difficult at times to get accrued interest on those high amounts. So on a lot of my, on some of these loans, I do have interest that I'm paying interest only payments on. And you know, it's at 10, 12%, it's pretty steep. And you just basically structure with a deed of trust and kind of just standard type thing. There's no other agreement or anything like that. Uh, well, it's the prom- the promissory, promissory note, note and deed of trust. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's- Sorry, inside that, I also always give all my lenders, whether they want it or not, I just give it to them. Uh, I've had discussions with other people. Some people don't agree with it. I think it all depends on your strategy, but I also give them personal guarantees. So I do in that well. personal guarantee, it's not just the property itself, but that means all my holdings are already. My perspective on that is I plan on paying back all my lenders, even if I lose everything, right? I mean, if I'm telling them I'm going to pay them back, I'm going to pay them back. So why would I not personally guarantee it? You know, unless I planned on, I don't know. So that is my exact take on it as well. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, if it was a buy and hold and it was apartment building or or something along those lines, that's completely different because it's a different strategy. And I think if a lender is going to lend on a long-term 30-year, there's anything can happen in 30 years. Yeah. As in a flip, you're in and out a lot less in the market can happen. So I think maybe in that regard, lenders would take a little bit of the risk there because they're getting paid for that. Yeah. I think it depends on your structure. You know, I, I will sometimes do like 50-50 splits. And on a 50-50 split, it's like they put up all the money and they're in the risk, right? That's part of the risk. And then also if you're doing like a fund, you know, the understanding is, hey, this is a fund. You know, you might win money, you might lose money. It's part of the risk. But if I'm borrowing, you know, $50,000 from someone's IRA so if I'm borrowing like 50 grand from someone's retirement account, it's like all they have, you know, I am going to do whatever it takes. You know, their understanding is you're going to pay your 12% regardless of the performance of this home. So to me, it's all about how do I lay out that expectation and understanding to the lender? And if their understanding is they're getting paid no matter what, then I'm going to make sure they get paid no matter what. The only, of course, you can't guarantee that's another rule, right? You can't really guarantee anything. But the bottom line is I'm giving you a personal guarantee that I will lose everything before I don't pay you back. So Yeah, well, I mean, even if it took you four years to pay them back, you're going to make sure that they're getting their principal back. So with me, that personal guarantee means something because I don't have just one project. So even if one project went in the crapper and I lost money and the, the proceeds of the sale were less than the amount that was owed to the lender, then I just take profits from some other deal to make sure they were made whole. You know, maybe it would take another month or two or whatever it took, but they'd be made whole. Exactly. Uh, I think that's important. I have a nightmare of a story that I have on Bigger Pockets. It's uh, the occupants from hell thread. And I've uh-huh. been going on this thing for 
uh, almost three years now. I've yet to set foot in my own house. Crazy. I have a private lender second on that thing that was supposed to be for six months. Well, it's been almost three years. And this guy's been gracious enough to allow that to stay in place this whole time. And it's because I just keep paying him his interest every six months. And I tell him, no matter what, I will protect your money. You're going to get paid. I think he knows that. And that I think that's so important. And that's what helps develop you as a good borrower. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I told you it was good stuff, didn't I? No worries. You can catch the rest of this interview in the next episode, episode 25. For the show notes for this episode, go to HouseMongHQ.com slash episode 24. Leave any comments or questions and Will and or myself will definitely answer those for you. And uh, Will just keeps delivering. So hit us up in the next episode and we will finish off this interview. Just a quick reminder, go to HQ.com slash mastermind to sign up for our next webinar and to learn about the upcoming mastermind program, as well as any questions answered from me that you might have live. Finally, it's been a long time since I asked for some ratings and reviews, and we could sure use some rating and review love on iTunes. So if you can go to HQ.com slash podcast and leave us a rating and hopefully five-star review, we would really appreciate it. It dramatically affects our ranking in iTunes, which I know sounds funny, but it's the way people see about the show and we're able to get more listeners and just keep things cranking here at HouseofBingHQ.com. So if you love what you're hearing or even like what you're hearing... <laughs> then go to housebringhq.com slash podcast and please leave us a rating and review. It would mean the world to me and I will love you even more than I already do. Well, that is all we got for today. Keep it cranking. Keep those offers going and let's make this world a better place. One flipping house at a time. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.